0: All right, thanks, John, have a great weekend. I am Chris Cuomo and welcome to Primetime. The proposition before us is clear. Trump needs to put up or stay put. The president won't show you a negative COVID test. He just gave an interview where he said things that make no sense about his condition. He's clear from COVID, but when you hear his explanation, you will know it is a bunk. Now, is there a good reason For him to not show you test results? No, but there are a lot of bad reasons. Mainly, he wants to have another White House event after the last one became a super spreader event that took down a good part of his team, not to mention his wife. And before you feign ignorance of the reality, we don't know that it was. Yes, we do. Doctors Fauci and Burks said clearly, Fauci said the Rose Garden event was a super spreader. Just look at the data. Burks said the only way to avoid more is to take the right measures. Or you can double down on dumb. Guess what Trump did? He is actually inviting 2,000 guests to the White House, the scene of the COVID contagion tomorrow. There's a case cluster there, 2,000 people. They're supposed to bring masks, not required to wear them, and will be subject to temperature checks, though not all COVID cases involve fever. Can you imagine going to a tightly packed event where masks are not on everyone, and the guy talking at you is likely contagious in a place that just had a case outbreak, and he won't even show you any proof that he's okay? We just learned today from Minnesota's Health Department that nine people who attended his rally in that state a few weeks ago have tested positive. I know he said in the debate, no one has gotten sick at his events. He lied. He also told you that he took a test before the debate. He lied. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. How many times must some of you be fooled before you get that this president puts nothing before his own interests. Respect and love for the families, he said tonight. The families who've suffered with COVID, respect and love. How does he show it? By saying this affects no one, that it goes away magically. When you catch it, you just get better. More than 212,000 didn't get better He's never even held a moment of silence for them at any of his rallies. Conversely, he talks about how they died and the virus that killed them as if it was no big deal. They are dead on his watch and many are suffering for the long haul. They don't get the medicines that you got and they have to deal with the truth. They don't get to lie about their condition and life goes back to normal. They should have known the reality when you knew it. You should tell them you will get better testing and you'll get more testing for them and their kids in the schools. You say you learned so much from having COVID. You learned what? How to lie about it? There will be no second presidential debate next week. It has officially been canceled. Why? The president refuses to do a virtual debate, and he won't show proof that he is okay. Where's the negative test? Where is it? Where's even his temperature? Where is it? Have the CDC clear you. This is simple. Put up or stay put. You literally could be making more people sick. But Trump does have a third option, and of course, he took it. Instead of put up or shut up, he went for the kiss-up on Fox. A doctor at Fox interviewed him. Not even an exam. No COVID expertise. This is the same guy who said the worst-case scenario is that COVID will be like the flu. COVID has already killed more than the flu has in the past five years. The interview was done on a show that Fox's own lawyers said in court is not to be taken seriously. It is not a credible source of news. That's where he did the interview with a guy who doesn't know what he's talking about, didn't even examine him. That's the best he can do. And he said, yeah, I was tested today. I don't have the numbers yet, but I'm either really low or clear. That makes no sense. There is no such measure when it comes to being tested for COVID. You want the proof? Here's a real doctor who knows the testing, knows the epidemiology, knows the symptomology, and knows what it looks like when somebody is well. And we can tell this right now before we even hear from a real doctor. There is a diagnosis, my brothers and sisters. This president has a case of deadly dereliction of duty. Let's bring in Dr. Sanjay Gupta and Van Jones. Sanjay, listening to what was supposed to be a comfort giving interview on Fox by a doctor, what did you hear that gave you any cause for confidence?
1: Uh, Well, there wasn't a lot of information uh, that was given there really at all. I mean, you know, most of it we'd heard before and obviously wasn't an exam. So, you know, it's 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 you can't really make much of it. President did say that he had congestion in his lungs. Uh, Mark Siegel asked the president, uh, did he have scans? And he said he had all kinds of scans, but he didn't say what they were, but then said that they seemed to show some congestion in his lungs, which is actually the first time we had heard that because previously, the president's doctors, Dr. Connolly, just said there were findings. Look, this is all purposely vague, Chris. I mean, you know, we're left to sort of look at these breadcrumbs and try and piece something together here. Sounds like the president is off of his medications now, Uh, But then he said that initially. And then later on in the interview, he said, you know, should be off shortly or something to that effect. So, you know, again, there was three medications. He received those antibodies, as you well know, uh, remdesivir, this antiviral and the steroid medication, dexamethasone. um, It's typically a 10 day course. Right. So if they're doing the proper course, he should still be on it. Right. I don't know. if he. Again, I couldn't tell from that interview if he was or he wasn't. So didn't get a lot out of that, Chris.
0: Well, they say he tolerated it very well. We don't know if that's true. Now, I think the biggest uh, thing to discuss is he said, I was just tested. I don't have the numbers yet. I'm either very at the bottom or cleared. I've been tested a bunch of times, a bunch of ways. I have never seen any kind of reading or scale or anything even when i get the lab report it's still a bunch of gibberish and yes or no positive or negative what is he talking about
1: well uh, first of all let me just say it doesn't really matter that much because when you, when you have COVID, as you well know, Chris, you're really uh, not cleared until 10 days after you first had symptoms, and that's regardless of what the testing shows, because the testing can be false negative, and sometimes the test can continue to pick up viral fragments, even though somebody is, you know, effect- is not shedding the virus anymore. What he seems to be talking about, and again, it's, it's not totally clear to me, is, uh, and they talk about these, these, uh, these trajectories of these diagnostics in the letter, which again, this, this language that isn't clear, but it seems like they're trying to figure out what the viral load is in the president. So you do the PCR test, which supposed you had done. supposed to be done. two PCR tests
0: of 35 cycles or more that show no correct. live virus, or if you're going to do that many cycles, no virus load almost at all, Sanjay. That's right. I mean, he clearly right. doesn't have That's, that. Exactly Otherwise, right. he'd have a nice, easy answer. Here, take a look. Yes, I'm fine. You're right?
1: But, yeah, he would say that if he was truly negative uh, with with a few cycles on the PCR machine, he would say that. I think what they're doing is he's still positive. But they're doing more and more cycles and seeing basically is is mm. at what point does he seem like the viral load is low? Um, look, we don't know because they're not they're purposely being vague on this. But I think they're trying to track his viral load. It sounds like and using that as an indication that if it's going down, that it should be cleared by. Pick a day, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, you know. So it's a guess. It's conjecture on their part to do that. You're right, Chris. If you're going to use testing as a a way to figure out if someone's no longer contagious, you need to have two proper PCR tests separated by a day, and they both have to come back negative.
0: All right. I want to talk to you about the state of play in the country. Uh, We have elevations in hospitalizations. But I want to bring in Van real quick, and just a note to people at home. If that had been the standard for me 10 days after I started to have symptoms, I'd make everybody sick who came around me. Ten days in, I had fever for almost certainly over two weeks, real fever, (laughs) real symptoms. So this standard is already crazy generous. Van, um, so the strategy here is I'm cleared, I'm strong, I'm back, I'm doing more rallies. What should be the Democratic response to the recklessness of the president in this instance?
2: Well, I mean, at this point, the Democrats just have to watch this train crash happen. Uh, the president is drowning and he just threw himself an anvil, uh, he, he, you know, refusing to, to debate. Um, he needs to get in front of the American people, the biggest audience he can possibly have, which is the debate audience. And he just whiffed it. He just decided he didn't want to do it. And now he's going to do some crazy cult-like uh, event uh, for people. It's like a death cult. I mean, who is going to go? Uh, to the White House this weekend, when people have been, you know, dropping like flies in terms of, you know, getting these uh, diagnoses, it's just nuts. So at this point, Democrats just have to almost watch the spectacle.
0: Um, you know, look. If he wanted to debate, all he has to do is show the PCR test that shows he's clear of virus, and um, then yeah. the commission be in a box. They'd be able to do it. Um, now, uh, one uh, plus minus on this. So with all this going on, Pelosi and Raskin and a couple others are trying to do this 25th Amendment thing. It's obviously about Trump. I had Jamie Raskin on the show last night, respect for the Congressman, but not for his argument. He was like, oh no, it has nothing to do with Trump. It's all about Trump. Why mess around with the 25th Amendment? You're not going to get anywhere with that. Why do that right now?
2: Well, I think they're trying to find as many ways as possible to to raise the concern that I think a lot of Americans have, that this behavior doesn't make sense. Um, Listen, uh, if you had a relative who was acting this way, who came home from the doctor, who came home from the hospital and said, uh, they gave me some stuff, I'm now cured of COVID. I want everybody to come over to the house. I'm gonna give a big speech to everybody. You would say, there's something wrong with grandpa. There's something wrong you know, with Uncle Donald. Uh, you would not say, hey, here's somebody who should be the leader of the country. And so that's, so. in some ways, is it a stunt? Yes. Mm. Uh, is it about Trump? Yes. Uh, but it is also a way for people in congress to continue to raise this issue that there's there seems to be something way off here. This is not, you know, there's a lot of shenanigans from Donald Trump you, you've gotten used to, but this, the idea I'm going to be the super spreader in chief and I'm going to, you know, literally call people to me at a time when I should be by myself is just a whole different level. of uh, of disturbing
0: behavior from the president. It'll be interesting to see who shows up tomorrow. Sanjay, so uh, 46,000 cases were up 12% um, in in like the last week, 10, 12 days. We're hearing all over the state that people are having new cases pop up. Some of that was expected as things reopen, as kids are back in school. But hospitalizations are popping up also. You're more worried about that. And how do you read this in terms of expected versus not expected?
1: Yeah, I, I think this is a really uh, crucial point, Chris. Uh, two, two things. One is that, you know, there's been this belief that accurately that the young people are a lot less likely to get sick. We, we, we know that. But what we're seeing as schools reopen, we are seeing hospitalization rates go up, which means that vulnerable populations are still being affected as a result of younger people's increased mobility. Just remember that. Even if it's just younger people increasingly mobile, it does affect these vulnerable populations. We don't always know how, tough to contact trace, but that's the purple line there on that graph, and that's the expectation in terms of hospital beds going into the winter season. Problem is, I I found this sort of buried within the IHME models, problem is we don't have enough hospital beds to really meet that demand. Let me show you this other graph if we have it, there it is. Darker the color, the fuller the hospitals in these states. Some of these hospitals, uh, some of these states already have over 70% of their hospital beds full. Right now, and we're not even fully in flu season. See, this is the problem, Chris. You know, we, we talk about number of people infected, number of people who've died, but the process of trying to care for people when you suddenly have these huge surges is Really, um, mm-hmm. it's tough work, right? The, the, right now, as your brother did in New York back in April, many states are now looking at buildings, right. saying it's going to be too cold November, December. We've got to find conference centers and other large buildings right now that can accept hospital right. patients. And, and he's and saying we're rounding the corner in many states around the, the country.
0: And I've got to tell you, governors like my brother, you know, Andrew speaks for himself, but, you know, they are concerned because the margins are always small. The beds are almost always filled in the hospitals. They That's expanded right. capacity, right. but not enough. You've got homeless people and mentally ill people on the streets because they don't have the capacity to keep them, and the problems are only gonna get more as you have this new flood of new illnesses you know, that are seasonal, and the president's saying, we're rounding the corner. Um, Sanjay, we're obviously not. We will keep it straight for people. Uh, I know you can promise that, or I can promise it. You can deliver on it. Van, can your team capitalize on it, uh, is the, the last question here. This election is going to be straight up referendum COVID time by the time November rolls around. We're going to hear bad things. This president will likely be lying about those same things. What must Joe Biden and Kamala Harris do to win an election in this environment? And before you answer, they can't just sit back and watch. People are desperate for leadership.
2: Well, I think that they are showing that leadership. And I think it's two things. One is, uh, with regard to the president's behavior, you, sh- you create the contrast by being responsible, but also by talking about not just what you're gonna do to deal with the virus. In fact, there's broad agreement about what to do to deal with the virus. The problem is the president's behavior undermines all of those, those, those good recommendations that even have come from his administration. But the other thing that they, they can do and need to do for the younger voters is talk about what they're gonna do once Donald Trump is no longer the subject of conversation how are you going to actually deliver jobs and help and relief to people? Uh, you know, you've got people who are, who are literally in food lines right now in this country, who've been sitting in a car for a couple of hours waiting to get a little box of food to take home that's gotta last for a week. This is not the America anybody signed up for four years ago, but you have gotta talk about how you're going to actually deliver on the jobs. I think, honestly, Trump is now a self-indicting document. <laughs> Um, You have an opportunity if you're you're Biden, if you're Harris, to talk about a future beyond Trump that works for a lot more people. And I think, you know, you're going to be able to find an audience, a much bigger audience now than two weeks ago.
0: Sanjay Gupta, Van Jones, thank you very much. Your families be healthy, be well and have a good weekend. Appreciate you both. I'll see you tomorrow night, Sanjay. We have new information. You got it. And troubling questions surrounding the foiled plot to allegedly kidnap the governor of Michigan. I've never heard of anything like that, let alone that being ignored by the commander in chief. We still don't know if more are being planned. An attorney for one of the 13 domestic terror suspects is here. What does he have to say next? I want to show you the alleged enemies among us, the faces of the men facing charges in an alleged domestic terror plot to kidnap the governor of Michigan. I'll put the faces up, there we go. Authorities say the plot involved scouting the governor's vacation house, prepping explosives, and they were holding secret meetings beneath a trap door. You're looking at that right now. The criminal complaint from an agent suggests the man who lived in this basement, Adam Fox, was leading the charge. CNN talked to his employer. What was he getting from Amazon? Like uh, MREs, food, stuff like that. So
1: survival stuff that it's Yeah,
0: not? he was buying more like attachments for like an AR-15 and he was buying like food. Yeah. And I'm not stupid, I was in the Marine Corps.
3: So that, I told him he had to go.
0: Now that guy is not involved. He owns the vacuum store. He knew Fox, let him stay in the basement to help him out, started seeing these suspicious things, told him he had to go. That's his story. Now, among the men actually charged is Daniel Harris. Parker Douglas represents Harris, says he wasn't really involved. He joins us now. Counselor, thank you.
4: Pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: First, uh, let's do personal uh, and then we'll do facts and law. On the personal side, can you give us some kind of picture of who this guy is, what his family life is like, what his psychological profile is like. You know, just what kind of person is this?
4: Well, I can give you um, as much as I can was able to garner in a little over an hour talking to him. I saw the complaint for the first time yesterday and talked to Mr. Harris for the first time today for about an hour. Um, the, what I would say is that he's a young man. Uh, he was in the Marines. He went in right after high school when he was about 18. He got out. Uh, when he was 22, that was uh, a year ago, June. Um, and he's been uh, out since a year ago, June. Uh, he's been living with his parents. Um, he works as a, uh, as a basically a sub working for a subcontractor, mostly putting in decks and uh, lives with his parents and his dog, who's a half shepherd, half lab.
0: Did you talk to his parents?
4: I did not. I haven't yet, uh, but I hope to talk to him tomorrow.
0: Any discussion with him if he's on any medications, if he's, uh, you know, expressing any kind of extreme beliefs or extreme fears or anything like that?
4: I didn't ask him about medication. Obviously, I I don't think I could talk about that if if he did tell me something. But um, but he didn't, uh, you know, as as far as, you know, whether he was lucid, clear, et cetera, Uh, He was all of those things. Uh, He was concerned, as anybody would be, facing uh, allegations that are, you know, set forth in the complaint. Um, He was not proud uh, about
0: what he's connected to.
4: Well, uh, he he had some confusion um, and uh, he he's he's certainly not happy to be um, connected with what he's connected to. But, you know, even reading through the complaint, I'm not sure how much what he's connected to yet. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, it's what we have is a complaint that's, you know, a sworn complaint by one agent um, that details uh, some movements, some uh, some text messaging, some calls. Um, it's sometimes it's it's unclear who's party to which calls. And I don't mean to sound like a lawyer parsing things, but that's what I have to do. When well, no, I'm that's your job. Out
0: everybody yeah, deserves gonna... offense everybody deserves a defense of course i'm a I'm a officer of the court as well I'm a lawyer I get that um, and yeah, this is very I, early I on in the process they say they have a lot of investigative uh, material but I just want to ask you one more thing and then we'll get to what we understand is in the record right now did he express sure. any strong views or ideologies to you that would explain animus toward the governor
4: absolutely not as a matter of fact he 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 the only thing he said to me was that He's a person who likes his privacy and um, and uh, uh, supports the Bill of Rights, and that he doesn't really find that he he belongs in one party or the other. Um, In that sense, he sounded a lot like me. (laughs) Um, All right, tell you the truth. All
0: right, uh, that's fine. All right, now let's get to what we understand. Um, Was he ever was he able to tell you in your conversation how he can explain hanging around with a group of guys and having rounds of conversation? like he had as attested to in the affidavit, in the supporting affidavit to the complaint, which, as we both know, and anybody who wants to read it will know, is a clear expression of animus, of hate, of planning, of trying to hurt. Uh, in his case, knock on the door when she answers it, just cap her at this point. F it. I catch her walking into the building and act like by fixing dome uh, her then yourself, whoever does it. Uh, that is unambiguous in its in its intention, so I don't know what he's confused about.
4: Uh, that that statement is unambiguous in its intention. What he told me was that it was incomplete, and he wasn't sure whether or not that they had transcribed it um, completely or not. And I don't know that until I. But see what the else text could? What does he another. say
0: was missed? Ha ha ha! Just kidding. I hope nobody's reporting no, this because I don't mean it.
4: He didn't say anything. What he what he said was it was that there were things that were said after that and perhaps before it. And I don't know what those things are because I haven't seen the whole transcript. But what could
0: they be? That would be exculpatory. That would make him not threaten to kill the governor while in conversations with people who were planning just that for weeks.
4: Well, one, I mean, he didn't tell me that he said those things for one. Um, and I don't know that the transcription is accurate.
0: Okay. So it may not be him. That's his best defense, but he didn't say to you, he didn't say it.
4: Um, We didn't talk a lot about the statements, actually. I talked more about um, you know, who the other people might have been, how long he might have known them, et cetera.
0: And you say that he didn't really know them all that well. He met him shooting at the range. So here's the main question at this point, and I welcome you back as we develop more of the record, you develop your own understanding of the case. Uh, That is a genuine offer. If he did not have anything to do with this, as we heard from the guy who owns the vacuum place where Fox was living in his basement as a favor, it was obvious there were things going on. It should have been obvious to your client. If he wanted nothing to do with it, if he wasn't about that, not a member of this group, why didn't he go to authorities?
4: Uh, We didn't talk about that at all. And it's- It's a good conversation
0: to have, Counselor.
4: Well, I know, know. and I had an hour-long conversation with him today, Um, and I'm surely gonna have have more. But um, as as far as, you know, you're, you're talking about groups You know, the group of five people that were arrested with him, it's unclear to me whether they are related or not to the other groups who are arrested today. When I talked to him about whether he knew anything about those other groups, he didn't indicate to me that he did.
0: Right. Um, But he's also at uh, he's also identified as being at another meeting uh, at this house on Lake Orion or Orion. You know, that was very specific in its intent and its direction, obviously. what we want to hear from this guy if he had nothing to do with it is how he can explain that and what he, why he didn't do anything about it. But you've only had one conversation as we develop more of the record. You're welcome back to make the case and I appreciate it. It doesn't get more serious than this in our country. This is allegedly domestic terrorism against the sitting governor. As you know, very serious conspiracy and kidnapping and terror charges could still be coming and are coming.
4: Absolutely. And we take them very seriously.
0: Counselor, thank you for taking the opportunity. And I hope to speak to you again. Hope to speak with you too. Thanks for having me. All right. Now, look, I know it's not getting a lot of attention from our president, but I believe that's about malfeasance. Okay, Um, he said things that amped up guys like this. He may have even been at the rally where Trump called them good people. They're still investigating that. So we're going to stay on it. But we're also going to balance it with the other virus in our society, COVID, the pandemic. A huge thing is getting kids back in school. I know you hear me talk about it all the time. We have a different angle on it tonight, a really must-see segment. Is the mistake we made with kids in schools that we made it too complicated and too hard? What do we know about how much the virus spreads in schools? A must-see segment. Next. Not good news. The United States is now averaging more than 46,000 new COVID infections each day. It's up about 12% from last week, more than double from where we were in June. Why? Places started to open back up and now we have kids in school. We expected more cases, but it has a lot of leaders and people in communities all over the country spooked, especially when it comes to schools. Now I, full disclosure, I have argued here, we did our kids dirty. We didn't put the thinking into the resources, the contact tracing and the types of testing that would have given us the comfort level to track cases accurately and put our kids where they belong in school. Now, part of the proof of my theory is that there is no federal effort to even track covid cases in schools across this country. Think about that. Of course, it adds to the uncertainty and it's intentional. Why wouldn't this president want us to know how many cases our kids are catching if he wants them back in school? So in the absence of leadership, let's talk about the information we need to make the right choices for ourselves. One of our guests, an economist, says she has good news for you, that fears about schools have been overblown and she can prove it. But can she prove it to a doctor and former public health officials' satisfaction? Let's see right now. Emily Oster is an economist at Brown University. Thank you for joining us. Dr. Lena Wen, you know, and she oversaw uh, school health in Baltimore, as a reminder. Dr. Wen, thank you. Emily, thank you. Uh, Emily, begin. Uh, and I want as little to do here because I want to learn uh, as much as I want to lead. What do you see in the data that gives you confidence about kids being back in school?
5: So let me just first, Chris, amplify the first thing you said, which is that it is shameful that the people collecting this data are people on my team and not the federal government. Um, what we're doing is we're going into schools, we're asking them, how many kids do you have? We're tracking their, their COVID cases. And what we're seeing early on is, I think, somewhat reassuring. So in our sort of last two weeks of September data, looking at a couple hundred thousand kids uh, in in-person school, we're seeing rates that are... Um, like 1.5 cases in a school of of 1,000 over that two-week period. Now, this data is very early, and so I'm not really sure that I can convince Dr. Wen, um, but I think it it does start to suggest that maybe particularly in lower prevalence places, we should be more aggressive about opening, perhaps especially with elementary school kids who I think are really suffering from being home and where distance learning is often not a great solution.
0: Uh, Just give us a little context on the data. Uh, You know, how many schools, how many states, you know, what kind of sample?
5: So it's covering almost every state. I think we're missing data from Alabama. Uh, It's about 600,000 total enrolled kids, of which about 200,000 are in person, about 60,000 in-person staff. Uh, We have both public schools, district public schools, as well as charters and and private schools. Um, And about 75 percent of the schools in the sample have at least some in-person learning. It's about 1,100 schools.
0: All right. So a case and a half per thousand. Uh, Doctor, what is your uh, reaction to the data And what are your questions as a result?
6: Well, my first reaction is that I'm very glad that Professor Oster and her colleagues are doing this. And it shows that when there is failure on the part of the federal government, that there are great people who are stepping in into that void. Um, I'm somewhat reassured by the data, but I am also a little bit concerned because it seems like we have the cases of the reported cases in schools for students and teachers. But I wonder, from Professor Oster, is there a way to also track for parents and caregivers and others who live in that household of students and teachers too?
5: Yeah, I think that that would be great, um, and I think we don't currently ask that. Although it's something that we could add. Although I'm not sure if the schools will know. What I would really think we would need—we're going to need to do—is start looking at the counties where these schools are and trying to link school opens to what's happening overall in the community. And that's something I think we could in principle do with even other data. Of course, people haven't, uh, haven't done that yet, but I think that concern and the concern about the staff in particular um, is kind of really central to these, um, to these, to these questions.
0: And let's discuss why it's central in a second. First, one step sideways, Dr. Wen, remind people uh, why you are worried about kids, because what we were told is don't be largely asymptomatic come through it. You have a few hundred that have died. That's terrible, but it's nothing compared to the rest of us. And until they get to be 10 or so, they don't even spread like the rest of us. So they're really not our problem population, which is why people say the old, the weak people like me, they have to be in quarantine. All the young, strong people like you and our kids, they can be out and live normal life. That's the best way to do it. What's your take on that premise, doctor?
6: Well, so it is true that children tend to get less severely ill than adults do, that the mortality rate among children is very low. But that said, some children do get severely ill. And by the way, the same disparities that we see in adults is mirrored in children. That sadly and tragically, three quarters of the kids who have died are black and brown children who disproportionately bear the brunt of disparities once again. Now, we also know that for children, that older children, 10 and older, probably transmit coronavirus as much as adults do. Children under 10, probably most studies suggest that they transmit it less, but they certainly do transmit it. There was a study that found that an eight-month-old child transmitted COVID to the family. And another recent study found that one 13-year-old transmitted coronavirus to 11 out of 13 family members that this 13-year-old was around. And so all this is to say that we can't just think of walling off a portion of society. Actually, other studies have suggested that the surges are actually driven by young people, that you have young people in their teens and 20s who first become infected. And then a couple of weeks after that, that spreads immediately to those who are 60, 70, and 80. So what starts the young doesn't stay in the young.
0: Uh, One follow on that, and then let's discuss that main point about what they call like, kind of interstitial spread, which is where the kid um, may not have that bad a case, but then they bring it to vulnerable people and you have to account for multiple generational households, which are very prevalent, especially as you move down the economic ladder in America. Has any community spread happened because of a school, Dr.?
6: There are certainly cases, although it is very difficult for us to prove, right? Looking around the country, those health departments that collected 50% of cases or more are from community spread. And we just don't know,
0: right? And that's the problem. That's why we need the testing. And Emily, look, uh, I want this to be clear to you. I didn't talk to you before we did the interview. You're among friends. Uh, You're doing research that nobody else is doing for us. You know what I mean? You are are not brought here uh, to set up as a bad guy. Quite the opposite, because we're desperate for answers. So that's the last variable that you have to build into your modeling, if possible, which is, all right, so they give you the right number. Let's say nobody lies, okay? Um, But the teachers, the teachers' families, who's at home, grandma living at home, grandma raising the kid who's sick and fine, but she's not fine. You know, how do you account for that in understanding the impact of kids in school who get sick?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think we need to try to account for that by sort of looking at what's happening in, in the community. I think the other piece we need to try to account for that we haven't talked about is what are, what, are they, what are the precautions they're taking in schools? This kind of the other piece of the data is, are the schools wearing masks? Are they distancing? Sort of thinking about kind of how do we do safe reopen? I think that intersects with the same question. If the kids are in school and they're all wearing masks and then they are even less likely to spread in schools, then it is not gonna you know, come out into the, into the community. Uh, so I think, you know, we, we really need to understand this problem better because I think we all want to get kids back in school. And yet none of us want, uh, you know, their grandparents to get coronavirus. And somehow we've got to We've got to figure out how we can get enough information to actually make that happen.
0: Mm. So, doctor, the last point is to people at home who are saying it's like one case, the whole school shuts down um, You're not having a lot of kids get sick. It's just panic to when anybody does. They should be back in school. Your answer.
6: I agree that kids should be back in school, but that's something that we as a society have to prioritize. We've been talking mm. about this choice of bars versus schools, and in some ways, that's a, it's an easy choice for a lot of us. But I do think that we as a society have to figure out that we can't do it all. Mm. We can't have schools open and everything open and, say, and cases surging out of control. So if schools are going to be a priority, we as a society, as people, have to determine what are those other things that we have to give up, which it might include also informal gatherings and limiting playdates. It doesn't make sense to play playdates and birthday parties while keeping schools closed.
0: That's got to be a priority. Show of hands. Uh, I
6: completely agree with that.
0: Thank you very much. Emily, look, as you get more info, let me know. You got a forum here uh, to share it with millions of people. That would people be great. I'd love and, to go back and tell you more. You know, schools or bars, show of hands. I'm going, I'm going, bar- no, nobody? Right. right, I'm just fixing my hair. Schools is obviously a priority for everybody. No, look, I order, or I argue it all the time. My three kids are a mess. Uh, The schedules are all different. The learning is not optimal. It's hard on their teachers. It's hard on the family. We have to do better. Hopefully, Emily, your data can point us in the right direction. And Dr. Wen, I know you'll keep us straight about what time and evidence shows us in terms of keeping our communities safe. To both of you, have a good weekend. We'll be right back. We've seen long lines this week for early voting all over this country. Our leaders should be doing everything to ensure that those people are safe and they feel encouraged to go there and that they will be safe. Yet the same president who claims to be Mr. Law and Order is openly telling domestic terror groups like the one in Michigan to break the law. I'm urging
4: my supporters to go into the polls and watch very carefully because
0: that's what has to happen. I am urging them to do it. Yeah, can also be called a felony, especially uh, the man who swore to protect and defend the Constitution can't be counted on uh, to do so. You want to poll watch. That's about protection. Protection is about police, election officials and you. Let's focus on the last one. We have Mary McCord, okay, uh, working to arm all of us with the best tool, the facts. Mary, thank you for joining us.
7: My pleasure, Chris.
0: Um, So a couple of my roughneck buddies and I are gonna go and watch people like you vote, try and get as close to you as you can can in the booth. Is that legal?
7: Well, it depends on what you mean by roughneck buddies, but voter intimidation or interference with the vote is illegal in all 50 states, and it's illegal under federal law. And then of course, armed uh, vigilante militia activity is also illegal in all 50 states. But you are not allowed to go in and watch people vote, right? Um, there are poll watchers who are. Right. Official to poll watchers. Not, right. Not right. not watch people cast their ballots, right. but just watch the voting process. Right. To make sure that things are being done in accordance with law. Right.
0: But you can't just self appoint yourself to that.
7: No, no, no. Every state has different laws that apply to that. Mm. In some case, only certain uh, certain people can be poll watchers, sometimes they're called election observers, and it's different state to state, but it requires some sort of um, registration with the state or some sort of recording of your presence there under authority of the election officials. It's not just anyone and certainly not, uh, you know, armed groups of individuals uh, certainly wouldn't be permitted to be inside the voting booth watching people vote. What do you want people to know about what should be the case when they get to the polls? So I'm not really worried about armed uh, unlawful militias going inside the polls. I don't think they're, they're, they'll be able to get in there. What I am worried about is that armed groups might go out uh, and, and, do, and take it upon themselves to respond to Trump's um, statements about election mail-in ballots being susceptible to fraud and the election potentially being rigged and any delay in tabulating the ballots being rigged. And these are dog whistles to these self-professed militia organizations, unlawful militia organizations to deploy to protect the vote or protect against election fraud the same way they have deployed across America to protect property against False rumors of the violent anarchists coming during racial justice uh, rallies. These groups are unlawful. They're not authorized under federal or state law. Militias re- refer to lawful state militias like the National Guard. There's no authority for people to deploy on their own. They're not protected by the Second Amendment. The Supreme Court's been very clear about mm-hmm. that, that states may and must be able to prohibit private paramilitary organizations. They said in 1886, they said it again in 2008, and in fact, all 50 states prohibit this type of armed, coordinated, organized use of force or projection of the ability to use force. Really, it's the usurpation of law enforcement and militia authority. irrigating unto themselves when and under what circumstances they will deploy the lethal force, AR-15s, assault rifles, et cetera. And look, it
0: doesn't help you say dog whistle, I say foghorn. You know, the president called those guys at the group good people. Uh, They wound up combining in their efforts to try to kidnap the governor of Michigan. They wanted to do it near the election. Uh, You know, they're bad guys out there. And it is a weird time when we have a president who seems to be giving them uh, overt um, confidence. Now, most people don't know the laws. How do they arm themselves with the information they need to be effective at the polls?
7: So I'm at Georgetown University now running or uh, helping run the Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection. We have actually put out fact sheets for all 50 states that talk about what the laws are in each state against these armed groups of individuals. They also give sort of a Q&A, what you do when you see armed groups of individuals near a polling place. And we're distributing these not just to voters and to election officials, but to law enforcement, to state and local officials, because it really is on state and local officials this year to make sure that voters can safely vote. And that's what they all want. And I'm seeing people coming together. I've been spending the last couple of weeks talking to mayors, talking to chiefs of police, talking to district attorneys, uh, voting rights organizations, state attorneys general, I and mean, they need to get together with their communities, make it clear that they're not going to tolerate voter intimidation. They're not going to tolerate armed groups of individuals intimidating people before the polls, during election day or afterwards, and um, and unite with their communities to make sure that everyone can actually exercise their right to choose the next president and then other elected officials Based on ideas and policies and not based on threats and intimidation.
0: Mary McCord, uh, literally a lifetime of public service, and you got a long way to go. So thank you for what you're doing right now. The website is on your screen, and I will tweet it from my personal and the show account. Mary McCord, thank you very thank, much. Thank we'll you, be right Chris. Back. Here's something you're not hearing on Fox. Trump didn't win the Nobel Peace Prize today. Wonder why? Maybe it was failing to call out domestic terror, like the 13 suspects who may have been acting on his insurrection calls to liberate Michigan. They were all charged in a kidnapping plot against Michigan's governor and trying to overthrow government. Not very PC. Trump wasn't nominated for any do-gooding in this country because he's too busy dividing and inflaming. I wonder if that impressed the judges. Oh, by the way, he was nominated by this far-right Norwegian lawmaker who put his name in for working on the UAE-Israel peace deal. And there was a Swedish parliament member who nominated him for helping secure an economic deal between Serbia and Kosovo. The World Food Program, for its efforts to combat hunger, they won. And by the way, we may need them here soon as an ever increasing number are waiting in line for food in America and an economy that this president calls the greatest of all time, despite the worst unemployment rate since the 1940s. Maybe Trump would win a prize for peace if he didn't empower hate. Maybe he would be called peaceful if he didn't call the quest for social justice racist and call Black Lives Matter a symbol of hate. Maybe if he fought domestic terror instead of encouraging it, people would see him as peaceful. Maybe he'd win a peace prize if he didn't threaten that he might not peacefully leave the White House if he loses. Maybe he'd win one if he didn't berate his cabinet members for not prosecuting political enemies. Peace would be a much better fit if he were about peace and not Hate. I wish you all peace this weekend, the best blessings for your head and hearts and your families. Thank you for watching. CNN Tonight with the man, D. Lemon. Right <laughs> that now. is a tall order that you're asking. Come on.
3: Really? <laughs> <laughs> Stop asking Save people to overthrow the country. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And, st- and asking people to what did he, what did he call today? Black Lives Matter. Racist and he said black lives matter was bad for black people earlier yes. I was on uh, with Brianna, and I said that he was black explaining I got that wrong He was white explaining what's good for black people which is it's a key distinction. It's a key shame, <laughs> it's a, shame on you. It's a very well. You can't tell lately. I mean have you seen the makeup? He's darker than me <laughs> That's some bronzer I was, he got he got you know my bronzer in the mail by accident and put it on I don't know the man's looks are the least of my concerns. <laughs> I'm just saying the makeup is a little heavy lately. I guess, I guess honestly, he's trying to um, show the public that he's healthy, right? And he, and he just, you know, it's browner, darker. He's got some sun. He's yeah. not pale. I got you know a much easier way. What? Show us a
0: negative there test. There you go.
3: There you go. Show us the In- test. Instead of having all of this, I cannot believe, I just cannot believe that he's, Inviting people 2000. to him, he's inviting them to possibly get sick and get COVID. Not necessarily from him, because he's going to be on the, on the balcony, right, doing his thing. But because they're all going to be jammed in together at a place that's already a hotspot, a, 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 a super spreader house. Interesting.
0: Yeah, it's a cluster.
3: It's oh, literally it's a cluster. A, they're inviting it's a him. cluster
0: in a whole lot of <laughs> ways. They're invited, he's inviting them into <laughs> yeah. a cluster site. And i got to tell you, you and I disagree on this, Um, so I'll make it quick. I feel for many of the people who follow him, uh, they have legitimate frustration and disaffection, and they were desperate enough to bank on someone as a radical change agent, and he is embarrassing them on a daily basis.
3: Well, um, I feel for them in a different way, but they're adults. And they're grown. And if you don't believe in science, if you don't believe in reality, if you don't believe in facts, if you don't believe one plus one equals two, if you believe QAnon, if you believe a, a pizza conspiracy, if you believe that there's actually uh, hundreds of miles of walls being built, if you believe that the tax cuts are, not in, are, are in your best interest, if you believe all of those things as an adult, that is on you. So I don't feel for them in that way. I mean, it, They're getting suckered but they're grown people, that's their own business.
0: Grown people get suckered all the time, especially when they're desperate.
3: Uh, yeah, but desperate for what? Better. Look, some are all them, desperate for better, some, but we're some not of trying his to overthrow the government.
0: Some of his followers are haters, bigots, and ignorant, but not all of them. The problem is all, it seems, if they're gonna be involved in the process, if you're a hater or a bigot, you back Trump. And that's something he's got to explain to them. Uh, And again, it it just the only sympathy I have is that I think about how desperate you have to be Mm -hmm. to back this guy and have to explain all this stuff that they almost never agree with. I almost never have a Trump person who stops me to talk to me where they will own any of the things that he says or does.
3: Yeah. Well, I think you're proving my point and I think you're being very generous because I know that you are not a hater or a bigot and you would not follow or support anyone who's a hater or bigot. Because you would be what complicit in hatred and bigotry. Yep. That's so, the catch. That's the catch. So it is what it is. Mm. Thank you, sir. I'll see you.
0: All right, Captain Bengal.
3: <laughs> He's a for protection. Both arms or against you. No, Both there's arms. nothing on this arm. See. Oh, you so you, you tucked him up. You <laughs> tucked him up. I love you, Don Lemon. Yeah. I'll be watching. Uh, you too. Have a great. I'll see you this weekend. All right. This-